What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Self Helpless. I'm Kelsey Cook. I'm Delaney Fisher. And today we are going to be doing a topic that was requested by uh, Helpster Lydia through our Patreon community. So if you want to be able to vote for the topics we talk about on the show sometimes, you can go to patreon.com slash selfhelpless and join there. Uh, today we're going to be talking about hypersexuality and sex addiction. And we have an incredible guest. We have on Alexandra Kotahakis. So Alexandra is a certified sex addiction therapist. She's also the clinical director of the Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles. She has an extensive amount of experience working with a full spectrum of sexuality from sex addiction to sex therapy. And she's just helped so many individuals and couples who are recovering from sex addiction. So we asked her a whole bunch of questions. She completely blew our mind and uh, we just, we, we couldn't have had a better experience with her. So yeah. we're going to get into that in, uh, in just a sec, but this, um, this episode is coming out the week that I'm going to be in Oklahoma City for my shows at Bricktown Comedy Club. And then two weeks after that, I'm going to be at Austin, um, in Austin, sorry, at Cap City Comedy Club, then Indianapolis, Houston, and my hometown, Spokane after that. So you can go to KelseyCook.com and get tour dates and tickets. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm just, I am like starting to get sick, I think. So I apologize guys. If my voice <laughs> does not sound the best today, it's probably a little annoying to listen to, but Oh, good. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. And you can head over to DelaneyFisher.com for Eficionado, the minimalist business podcast, which is a free private podcast available on my website. We cover everything from increasing your revenue, freeing up your time, simple strategy, 
um, you know, just leveraging your skill set, outsourcing, delegating, team management, all that shit. So if you're interested in building and scaling a minimalist business, head on over. Would love to have you. DelaneyFisher.com. Amazing. Okay, let's get into our interview with Alex. Alex, thank you so much for being here today. We are very excited for this episode topic. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to both of you. Yeah. So before we get into everything, do you have a, a favorite or least favorite quote that you'd like to share with us? You know, that's funny because I was thinking about my book, Mirror of Intimacy, which has a daily quote in it for 365 oh. days, and I couldn't think of one. And then <laughs> I thought one of my favorite quotes um, is one by Oscar Wilde, which you've probably heard, where he says, uh, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Oh, I love that one. one. And I love that one also because we live in a world of FOMO and, um, you know, especially women altering ourselves, trying to be other than what we are, or, you know, trying to change our bodies. And it's just such a losing proposition as opposed yeah. to really moving into deep acceptance of who we are. Um, there's an incredible liberation in that, I think. So be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Mm. I love that. Also, you are so in the right place. Uh, if you have, you have a book with a daily quote, because we just love yes. quotes so much on the show. That's awesome. Yeah. To get into um, the topic today, can you just go ahead and tell us a, just a full definition of what hypersexuality is? Well, that word in and of itself is a little bit tricky because, you know, anybody can be hypersexual at any time in their life or in one night, depending on what's going on. Um, <laughs> but the, <laughs> so the, the diagnostic term is compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Um, and that's in the international classification of disorders um, that comes from the World Health Organization. So compulsive sexual behavior disorder, and there's criteria for that where typically people have messes or unmanageability in their life because of their sexual behaviors. Um, so we wanna be careful about the language. I think we use the language sex addiction is what people are most familiar with in the popular culture to describe this syndrome, if you will. Um, but again, you can be hypersexual if you're on a vacation in Greece for the summer, uh, <laughs> but that, that was that, or when you were in college or on a night. Um, so I don't want to pathologize, you know, sort of the joy of sex and fun sex and maybe having lots of sex, but sex, like with anything, like with food or alcohol or drugs, um, when it becomes, it becomes problematic when people feel like they can't stop doing it, um, or they're doing it for the wrong reasons, or they keep doing it even in the face of negative consequences, or they're doing it to the exclusion of friends, families, uh, or their family, or they're getting in trouble at work because they're doing it. So um, like with any addiction, there's a high, high level of preoccupation. It's all you're thinking about, either getting into the experience or covering up your tracks after the experience. Mm. Okay. So is, is sex addiction and compulsive sexual behavior, is that the same, are those interchangeable or are they... I think they are more or less. I think right now, because we have a, um, a psychological body that has deemed this diagnosis, compulsive sexual behavior disorder, a bona fide diagnosis, um, sex addiction is more the colloquial term or the term you hear in popular culture. It's sort of shorthand. We all know what that means. Right. Um, so that I use them interchangeably, but you know, 
technically they're probably not, it's probably not completely kosher. Okay. okay. Gotcha. What got you into this line of work? Um, well, let's see. <laughs> um, I was pretty promiscuous as a teenager. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, all right. And a lot of that had to do with the household dynamics I was growing up in and really, you know, looking for love, just wanting to be loved, wanting to be wanted. My parents loved me, but it wasn't in a way that was overt that I knew it was through their actions. And, um, you know, I was well taken care of, but something was definitely missing for me where I was looking for love and I was confusing sex with love. Um, and then I got into a relationship in my 20s or teens that lasted for 10 years. And that relationship was filled with all sorts of sexual issues. Um, and then when, by the time I got out of that relationship, I really didn't know what it meant to be sexual in a committed relationship over time. That was really my overarching question. How do people do this in long-term relationships and how do they keep their sex life vital? So that was the quest or the question I started out with. And um, I studied human sexuality and my doctorate is in human sexuality. Um, but the only internship I could find was one that was treating sex addiction in the late 90s. And so I learned all about problematic sexual behavior mm -hmm. and the rest is sort of history, as they say. Okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, what are, what are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions about compulsive sexual behavior disorder? Well, people make a lot of jokes. You both would appreciate this. Comedians make jokes about, wow, if I had an addiction, I want it to be sex, but right. people that really struggle with this problem are in extraordinary amounts of pain. Um, oftentimes they've not been able to put a relationship together where they haven't cheated um, they're living a double life. So they're constantly lying. They're spending money that maybe their partner doesn't know about. Um, they're having sex with people they don't even want to be having sex with. I mean, both women and men have this experience where they get into the sexual experience and then the sex itself is not good or the person's creepy. Um, and then they feel horrible about themselves afterwards. There's often a lot of you know, guilt, shame, remorse, even despair for people when they've been doing this long enough, because initially they were using sex to make themselves feel better, but eventually it doesn't feel good anymore. It feels kind of dirty or gross or bad. So there is a vicious cycle to the problem, wherein the problem is no longer the solution to the psychic pain the person was feeling to begin with. So it's escapism, right? And People are chasing some ideal experience, some high, some higher high, but the reality of it is typically not as enjoyable as the fantasy of it is. Mm. Yeah. And all of the, um, the downfalls that would come with that, even if like the sex itself is short lived, like you said, the consequences yeah. to that, I would imagine far outweigh it. Um, if somebody is listening right now and maybe they are thinking that this might be a problem they have, what are some of the symptoms that you would use to classify somebody as being hypersexual? Well, if they feel like they are out of control, meaning they've tried to stop multiple times and they can't, if they start to have unmanageability in their lives where um, they're spending more money than they want to be spending 
Um, they have lots of secrets, lies, problems, excuses. Um, their social life is unraveling because they keep an open calendar because they're always waiting for the right person to come along. Maybe they're underachieving at work because they're spending so much energy on this problem. Um, or they can't orgasm with a live partner because they're spending so much time looking at porn. Um, things of that nature. I mean, people generally know when their lives are, they have messes in their lives. And that's when people usually get help or they get caught. That's the other thing. They blow up their relationships. Um, right. And I think all of us have had bad relationships, especially as women, where we've been compromising ourselves, um, having sex if we didn't really want to, but doing it anyway, um, again, because we think somebody will love us. Um, or we think maybe that person can take care of us in some ways, or worse yet, we live in a fantasy of who we want them to be. And we're not in reality of who they actually are on any given day. Right. And can somebody still be considered, um, having this, if it's like, do you have to be having sex with multiple people or can you have this with like just the same person over and over again, and it can still be addictive or. How does that work? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's a gender split in this and it's really kind of challenging to talk about this. But if we're just talking about heterosexual people and a bell curve, in general, males will be engaged in sexual behaviors like at least three, like they're in a relationship, but they're also maybe watching excessive porn or having an affair or going to strip clubs or hiring sex workers or going for sexual massage. There's like a whole group of stuff they're doing in while in the relationship. Whereas females are more likely to do what you're talking about um, in that they will stay in a bad relationship and keep twisting themselves into pretzels in order to make the thing work. So we might consider that that female is more love addicted um, and less you know, sexually addicted because she's living in a fantasy about potential or who she wants this guy to be, not who he actually is. She's not really in reality about seeing him. Oh, that pretzel analogy is going to stick with me. <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah. uh, As somebody yeah. who had been in a toxic relationship, I completely relate to that. And I feel yeah. like sex was kind of the only way we were connecting. Mm. I felt like it was a huge part of the relationship because the other foundational elements just weren't there. You know, there wasn't really a friendship. There wasn't all these other connections that other people seem to have. And so that felt like the one thing that we should keep doing because it was kind of the only thing that was going right. And it really blinded me to a lot of- Right. Things. That's great, Delaney. Thank you for making yourself vulnerable like that because that the sex is hot, can be really hot in those kind of relationships that are fraught because it's a high arousal relationship. There's an element of not, maybe not danger, but intensity. And that intensity gets mistaken for intimacy right? It's so wild. It's so passionate. It's so intense, but we can't stand each other. We don't have anything in common and our values aren't aligned, but wow, the sex is great. Yeah. Um, that's usually a bad sign because all your energy is getting discharged there. And there's also a whole neurochemical component to it also. You know, the right. novelty factor is very high in those situations. Wow. And it can yeah. make it so hard to go from kind of that type of relationship to like a wonderful, healthy one because of that sex element. Cause you think right. 
maybe there's something missing sexually because it's not like this crazy high, but how, do, how, do, how does somebody kind of transition into something healthier? And like, I mean, knowing that it's okay that if it doesn't, if it doesn't feel the same as it did. Yeah. So if you have a history of dating bad boys or bad girls, um, and it feels like you're putting your finger in a light socket right off the bat, I would say that's wrong. And if you're dating someone and it feels kind of boring or average, that's probably right. And if you hang in there with that person, the more you build an intimate connection, meaning you're honest, you're vulnerable, you're close in, the more the erotic charge builds over time. Um, and that comes by revealing yourself to each other sexually and getting curious and experimenting and playing in the sexual arena uh, where you're learning about yourself through each other. So it's an inverse trajectory with the the sex addict, it's like straight up a steep cliff, right? And with someone who's not, it's kind of a slow oscillating trajectory upwards towards something more erotic, intense, spiritual, beautiful, if you will. Yeah. I had a, a toxic relationship when I was much younger and my therapist, after I'd gotten out of it, had said something similar where she had said, your next relationship might feel lackluster. Mm -hmm. And that word always stuck with me because I felt like that was such a good way to describe it. Because if you're going from something where there's really, really high highs and really, really low lows, even if the low lows are horrible, the chemicals that are being released during that time feel so intense compared to something that might be a little bit more healthy to you. Right. Even if it's a better fit and a better relationship, you can be like, oh, I don't know if this is actually right because this it's just easy. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. That's right. And when you don't have, you haven't had that experience, the tendency might be one to sabotage that or run. And so I encourage people, if you're in a relationship, to stay in it and work through the issues until you just hit a wall and you can't anymore. And if you can't, that's when you say goodbye. But as long as you keep trying and that person is needing you, then you keep going to see what's there. Yeah. And it can be so tough even with those lows because you feel like, oh, it's so low because we just love each other so much. And that's why it's so awful and painful. Right. And you realize like, wait a minute, this is not, this is not okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. What can people, what are some, um, whether it's treatments or first steps people can take if they are resonating with this right now? Well, there's some simple self-tests that you can look at online. Um, we have some on our website at centerforhealthysex.com. There's a sex addiction screening test. Um, sex and Love Addicts Anonymous have uh, 40 questions 
I think it's the 40 questions on their website. I've adapted it on our site also. But generally, if you think you have a problem in this area, you probably have a problem. And it doesn't mean that you've got full-on compulsive sexual behavior disorder. It may mean that you're on the on-ramp um, or you've always struggled with these issues. And I think a lot of people today are struggling with intimacy issues about what does it mean to experience pleasure, to be close in? We, we put so much focus on uh, performance and penetration in our culture, that that's the definition of sex, right? You've got to look like the adult film actors in porn, um, and you've got to like whatever comes your way, and nobody really knows what they like. They're just doing what they think they should be doing uh, because they're not being themselves, right? Um, and so there's just a lot of confusion about sex and sexuality. So um, I think it's useful to have those conversations in the way we are right now, no matter what, to start to get clear about who am I and what do I like sexually and what do I want in a relationship, not what's being advertised to me or what's on Instagram. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are such good questions that I feel like we very rarely ask ourselves. And I don't know if that's more as women or just people in general, but I do feel like um, there's kind of that mindset through porn to always be trying to make the other person happy in bed and focusing mm -hmm. more on that than what you actually want. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. And so we don't really consider our own pleasure and we don't yeah. communicate what's, first of all, we don't know what's pleasurable to us and then we don't communicate it to our partners. Yeah. Um, and everybody needs something different. Our sexuality is as unique as our fingerprints. Every one of us like a certain kind of touch um, in certain places and not in other places. And if we don't explore our own bodies, our own wants and needs and likes and dislikes, then we can't communicate it to a partner. And you, we all want partners that can listen and hear us and that are interested in what we do and don't want. Yeah. What is, what's the, the biggest or main difference between sex addiction and love addiction? Like, how does that kind of play out? What does that look like as far as love addiction? Well, they're both problematic relationships with mood altering experiences, whereas alcoholism is a problematic relationship with a mood altering substance. The, the love addict is much more living in a fantasy um, about who the other person is and how they want their life to be. And look, we've all had this experience. You're going away for a weekend and you're super excited about what you're wearing and what it's going to look like and what the weather is going to be like. And you get there and it's not sunny and you only brought sundresses and it's cloudy and it's cold, right? <laughs> and that this yeah. is not what my weekend was supposed to look like. And so you can be miserable or you can adjust. And the love addict never adjusts. They keep trying to get it to be a sunny day. Meanwhile, they're shivering and acting like everything's fine when it's not fine. When really <laughs> they just need to go buy like a cheap pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt and tennis shoes and just go to the movies that weekend, right? It's a bust, but make the best of it. So love addicts keep pushing the fantasy of who they want that person to be. They're not really seeing the other person. So they're no more available than the unavailable person they've chosen. So that, that's a big distinction for love addiction. Um, you know, it's like if you go out with somebody and they say they're going to call and they don't call, if you're not a love addict, you're like, huh, 
if you're a love addict, you're, you make an excuse for it, um, yeah. right? You keep making excuses for, um, and, and things happen, right? People's cell phones die or they run it over with their car or like things happen. But in general, again, it's a more upward trend with somebody versus they're always late. They never call. They're always making excuses. They forget their wallet when they say they're going to take you to dinner. Um, and you're constantly adjusting to compensate for who that person isn't because you need them to be something. Oh, my yeah. Gosh, so many <laughs> great truth bombs are being dropped on this episode. It's so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole <clears throat> what you're saying earlier about pretzeling yourself. Yeah. Or if you're in a toxic relationship, I feel like your bottom line keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. That's a great way to put it. To where you are willing to accept like less than the bare minimum, right. like an embarrassingly small amount will keep you. Right. And I think, you know, when people start to get emotionally sober, when they start to heal, there's a lot of grief and loss looking back and looking at the ways in which we hurt ourselves, especially at women as women. Yeah. I mean, I remember being in my late thirties and thinking about some of the things I did when I was 19 and I was just horrified. Like if that was my 19 year old daughter or sister, I would be like in so much pain that they were hurting themselves like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so we all do it. And I think women in general are conditioned both from a biological perspective, which some people might argue, um, and also certainly from a cultural and social perspective, to submit, to subjugate ourselves, to, you know, we're often the keepers of the relationships and we're the caretakers of children and we see the best in everyone and we want it to work out, but right. we will override our intuition sometimes because of that. Yeah. Right. Can somebody be considered, a, is, when, and when somebody is a love addict, is that in, are they in relationships with multiple people? Is it one person at a time? Are there some typical kind of behaviors it, with those logistics? It can be both and, um, but for both male and females who identify as love addicts, typically there's an object of desire um, that the person has their sights on, um, or they get into a relationship through their love addiction and um, they stay in it until there's some rupture in the relationship where the person becomes more real or more human. Um, and then they'll either repair it or they'll go find somebody else pretty quickly. And, yeah. you know, and a lot of people will live in these fantasies about other people. You know, it's what uh, Billie Holiday sang about unrequited love. Uh, she said, unrequited love is a bore. And it's a bore because it's a one-way street. But stay in these fantasies about somebody who's not unavailable, who's not available, right. and just hoping against hope that they will be. So there can be deprivation in love addiction also. Yeah. Mm. Do you find that somebody who um, is hypersexual uh, or struggles with sex addiction has a higher chance of also having a personality disorder? Um, I would say in general, yes. I mean, we don't see, when we say we're treating sex addiction, what are we really treating? What are we really looking at? And we, if we even take it further, these are not just personality issues. They are regulatory problems. These go back to infancy sometimes and childhood where the person didn't get the kind of attunement they needed from their primary caregiver. 
their system wasn't set up in a way to be able to regulate themselves under distress. So they use sex in order to feel better. They use sex as an analgesic or um, a way to get high, but anything to run from feelings of emptiness or loss or loneliness, um, which is historical and can be characterological or a, what we call a personality disorder. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's often a whole host of issues. Sometimes people have mood disorders also. They're right. depressed or anxious, so they use sex and love to make themselves feel better. Right. So it's very unique and distinct to the person that's seeking help or that has the problem. Yeah. Is there comorbidity like on the other ends with like like maybe the victim of an addict in that way of like, do they usually have certain traits that are similar to each other or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say if you have a, go out with somebody and they're a sex addict and you don't know it and you break up with them, it doesn't mean that you have, you know, personality issues because you were, you were, you saw what was going on and you said, no, I'm not going to deal with this. But someone else who's maybe came from a dysfunctional household who had a parent that was maybe alcoholic or sex addict or, um, you know, gambler or what have you, and they saw that what happened in the parental structure was that you just put up with it. You just overlook it. You just compensate for it. You deal with it. They're more likely to choose an addict as a partner because it's what they know. Mm -hmm. So yes, oftentimes we see, we can see um, sex and love addicts getting together with each other because it's a perfect fit. The sex addict is love avoidant um, and the love addict is love addicted. So one of them is chasing the other and um, neither one of them are available emotionally for different reasons. Wow. I've never heard of somebody, I guess I've never really gotten into, <clears throat> excuse me, love addiction on the show much, but I've never heard somebody describe somebody who is love addicted as being emotionally unavailable. Right. Because in my mind, the idea of somebody being a love addict would be more associated with them being like too emotionally available. No, it's really a one person system. It's all about me and my fantasy of you. Um, it's not who you actually are. Yeah. You know, let's so say, let's say we meet Kelsey and we hit it off and we have a great time and I hate cats. I'm actually a cat lover, right? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, this exactly. feels like a personal attack. Exactly. I've got two of my so, cats in the street. Right. And so I come to your house and you have cats and it's not that I'm allergic to them. I just don't like them. Uh -huh. And so I'm going to overlook that, right? By okay. overlooking that, I'm overlooking a fundamental part of who you are. And I'm going to even wedge my way into it in a way where I might start to do something mean to the cats or try to convince you to get rid of them, or I'm going to change you to accommodate what I need you to be. That is not an emotionally available person. That is a one person system. I, and that could be anything from you saying, you don't wanna have a baby and I do, but I'm gonna change you. Or yeah. um, I hate LA, but I'm not gonna tell you, I'm just gonna to try to get you to move, um, right? Right, right. So that is, um, there is a lack of real emotional availability there because the person is not in reality in a lot of ways. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. So, I mean, I know there's there's shame with every addiction out mm-hmm. there. That's, you know, a big discussion we've we've covered a little bit on the show before, but it seems like sex addiction or it almost seems like other things are a disease and like there's this kind of a different stigma around sex addiction it seems sure. like yeah. less protected in like the workspace and things like that. Can you kind of speak to that and like the evolution of this and maybe the stigma behind it? Yeah, I think it's a terribly misunderstood problem. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't want to speak to the disease aspect. Um, I see it as a problem of affect dysregulation, meaning the person cannot manage their feelings, their moods, Um, Sometimes they don't have access to them because they were horribly neglected or abused as children. So they're cut off from their feelings, we could say. And so because of that, they're seeking comfort. Um, If you have somebody who grows up with a mother who is depressed or anxious or mentally ill and not able to attune to that infant, that infant's going to have problems as a child. And then if there's any kind of traumatic abuse on top of that, then you've got more problems. So that child's gonna start looking for drugs or alcohol or sex to make themselves feel better. Uh, if the child is sexually abused you know, at eight, 10 years old, then that arousal template is set early on and shame is an implicit part of it. That shame um, is arousing, sex is dirty. So that makes it arousing because that's what was done to me. Mm-hmm. So these, um, systems get set up very, very early on. And then they start to, you know, it's like a tumbleweed where they just start to get bigger and bigger and out of control over time. So shame about one's very sense of self. um, And then one's sexuality is the genesis of the problem. But it's also what drives the problem. And then the problem itself is shameful. The sex addiction itself can feel shameful if somebody's, you know, cheating all the time or paying for sex all the time, or um, it feels like, you know, they can't keep a relationship together. So it becomes a vicious cycle. The shame is both the cause and the effect of the sex addiction, the way I see it. And so these are people that have been wounded somewhere along the line. And we don't tend to have compassion in our culture for people that are hurting We tend to make fun of it or name it dirty or shame it some more, uh, which is a level of cruelty that we see throughout um, our culture right now. Yeah. 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 It it feels like there's like an understanding around like something like alcoholism where you'd never say like to an alcoholic, just stop drinking. What's the big thing? That's right. Exactly. It feels like there's just so much of that towards sex addicts. Like, I don't get it. Just 
you know, stop having sex. Stop well, having it's sex, like, stop touching yourself in public. I don't get it. Like, yeah. Well, we do it to compulsive overeaters also just stop eating. Right. Um, and if somebody's in AA, people are, you know, high five, congratulations. We celebrate that as we should. But if somebody says I'm a sex addict in recovery, people want to hide their children. Right. Because they don't know what it means and they're not open minded or curious enough about it or compassionate enough about the pain the person's suffering. We've now constructed it as an excuse for behaving <laughs> badly. Right. And with something like alcohol, that's a substance that isn't required for like a happy, healthy life. Right. That process of somebody getting sober from alcohol versus um, either being sober from sex addiction or like a food addiction looks so different because it's like, well, you need food to live. That's right. You, you, and it's the same with sex where it's like, well, you should have sex be a part of your life, you mm -hmm. know, if, if that's what you want. But that is so much harder, I think, for people to have a healthy relationship rather than just cut it out completely, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's very challenging for both, you know, people that struggle with eating disorders and sexual disorders because um, abstinence is not a way to live unless you are, you've chosen that life by way of some religious affiliation. Right. Um, so yes, that's why I wrote my first book, Erotic Intelligence, because it was meant to be a guideline for people to have a healthy, happy, erotic life. Um, yeah. not one that was filled with pain and trauma repetition and shame and embarrassment, but one that was celebratory over time. And that is a road that people can traverse. I mean, it's very, very doable. Um, sometimes they do have to have stop having sex for, you know, whatever, 30, 60, 90 days. So they can figure out what's what, what's good for them, what isn't good for them. But slowly but surely, sex and relationships have to be integrated again so that we have a full, vital, happy life, as you said. Yeah. yeah. Can, are you able to speak to, let's say that somebody thinks that they might be in a relationship with somebody who has compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Mm -hmm. And what seems so tough about that is that something like, you know, somebody struggling with alcohol, um, you know, eating stuff like that, there's evidence, maybe you can find wrappers in the trash or alcohol <laughs> bottles somewhere. But right. with sexual behavior, I feel like it seems like it could be a little bit, I don't know, you can cover it up for sure way like less evidence. So, yeah. so what are signs people can look for if they think that somebody they love is struggling with something like that's that? That's a great question. Because, you know, women come into treatment, and they're partners have been cheating on them for 5, 10, 25, 40 years, and sometimes they didn't know. But if you catch somebody doing something once and they say they'll never do it again, that is not a good enough answer. Because sometimes, you know, many of these women that have been in longer term marriages, let's say 20 years plus, did see telltale signs along the way, and their partner said, I won't do it again, and they believe them. Um, so you have to be in a much more explicit conversations about what exactly just happened here and why did it happen um, and with whom and how often. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, we do have the internet and a lot of people, you know, can be, you can be laying in bed with your partner and they can be cheating on you and you not know it right then and there. So being transparent with electronics is certainly one way that you have access to each other's phones. So you can see who's texting, who's emailing, who's talking about what and where on social media. 
Um, that I think is a healthy thing for partners to have with each other also, not in a way where it's invasive, where you're checking each other's phones every day, but you should have free access to that phone anytime so you can see what's going on. And if you have nothing to hide, you've got nothing to hide. Um, and that would hold true too also if you were like spending way too much money and your partner didn't know about it. They'd see it you know, on your PayPal or Venmo account or something would probably pop up or Amazon, you name it. So those are some ways, but I would say if you have an intuition or you have a spidey sense about something, you should follow that, especially for women um, who tend to override or deny that. There's also the matter now of internet pornography usage, which is a sticky wicket, so to speak. Um, how much is enough? How much is too much? Um, does the person feel like um, their partner's sexual needs are all being met by way of internet porn? Um, what other activities are being engaged in there? Are there, you know, cam girls, um, escorts being hired, um, social media liaisons with high school sweethearts? Like what's going on there also? Um, so these are conversations I think couples have to have with each other about what are our parameters? What do we want? Um, and my feeling is that if I'm in a relationship with somebody and I want to have sex with somebody else, my partner should be the first to know, not the last to know, right? If I really love this person and really care about them um, and there's a problem in the relationship, then you need to sit down with your partner and say, hey, this is not working for me. Or I'm thinking about cheating with somebody at my office and that's not a threat, but I'm kind of in trouble here. So we either need to work through our sex life or change the parameters of our relationship if it's going to be consensually non-monogamous, but let's do this together as opposed to, um, I'm going to go sneak and do it behind your back and gaslight you and hope I don't get caught. Because that, that's just a mess and it's traumatizing for everyone. Yeah. Oh, so true. As hurtful as it would be, I would want my husband to tell that to me, you know, Hey, well, what kind of hurt would you rather have? Right. Right. right? I'd be hurt, but I'd be so glad that he told me versus finding out exactly finding out. And right. like, absolutely. Either way it hurts, but like that hurt. Yeah. Is a different hurt. That's right. So pick your pain. And I think we have to be a mature enough culture to start picking our pain and dealing with life. And we don't, you know, we're captivated by this happily ever after myth when we get married and we think that's the end of the conversation. And it's not, that's the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, I just feel like no time more than now has trust been so important yeah. in a relationship. It used to be, I think that you could live in a tiny town and if you kind of knew that your partner was only going to see a certain amount of people a day, or mm -hmm. you had like a routine where they went to their office and you knew their coworkers or whatever. That's but right. It's like with the internet. Yeah. It really, you really have to trust who you're with. Yeah. And that trust is not a one and done thing. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like safety is like you, if I can go back to your pets, <laughs> You're in your house, you feel safe in your house, your doors are locked, right? But you don't always trust your pets. Like if they're quiet, you're like, okay, where are they? And what are they doing right now? <laughs> or why is that noise so loud in the litter box? Like, is there litter all over the floor? Did they right. have to use the box? Right, so trust is constantly being negotiated 
Yeah. Um, dogs are probably a better example than cats for that because <laughs> you never know what they're up to. Yeah. Um, Delaney has two dogs. And okay. I'm sure she so, can attest to that. Right. So it's like, I trust them when I can see them and mostly when I can't, but you never know. So yeah. that's what I mean about trust being a negotiation as yeah. consent is. We're yeah. constantly should be checking in about trust and consent, even if we're in a married situation. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody has, you know, listened to this episode and they are thinking, you know, I, I think this is me, what is the first step that they can do on their own or kind of externally to like improve their situation? Well, there are 12 step pro programs in, especially in LA, um, we've got a beautiful and robust 12 step community here. So they can check out sex and love addicts anonymous um, or sex addicts anonymous if you're male um, sexually, sexual compulsive anonymous, if you are, uh, that's predominantly a gay fellowship and also welcomes females in Los Angeles. Um, so there are 12 step fellowships that are free. Um, you can look at some of the materials I talked about online. Um, you can always call our office at Center for Healthy Sex. We have intake counselors that are here all day, every day, and they'll talk to you for 45 minutes. They'll give you resources, whether it's a therapist in your town, if you live out of state, book recommendations, you name it, they're super helpful. Um, and that number is 310-843-9902. And our website again is centerforhealthysex.com. That's awesome that you do that work. So good. Is there anything that you want to add that we did not cover during this episode? And Kels, of course, if you have any other questions. Yeah, no, I just would love to hear anything else you have to say. Yeah. yeah, I guess I just would end by saying, if you have a problem with sex and or love issues, you don't have to be ashamed about that. You're not alone. All of us have issues with sexuality and intimacy. Everybody has a story about sex and intimacy. And so you're not alone. And the more you keep it secret, the bigger it gets. So there is a saying in the 12-step program of tell the truth and tell, the, tell it faster. So the sooner you start talking to a therapist, a 12-step program, a friend, um, and start to read and get the help you need, the sooner you can start to deconstruct that shame and the sooner you can move towards having the kind of sex life and relationship life you want to have. Oh, yeah. You're awesome. You so yeah, where can people find you and your work and all of that as well? Well, again, centerforhealthysex.com and then you can find my books on Amazon. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you, Alex. All right, thank, thank you, you both. So what an Oh, we got to have her back. Oh, a thousand percent. I just, every, every question she answered led to like 50 more questions in my mind. And I would really love to have her back. She, that was so good. Just the way that she explained things like really hit me. Same. <laughs> was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we'll have other things that we want to talk to her about too. So um, yeah, thank you to Alex for coming on. We have a helpster recommendation, which I am very excited to read. This is from helpster Colleen. Um, she says, maybe I'm late to the game, but I just discovered brown noise. It's different than white noise, like white noise machines. It's this cozy sound and it's supposed to help with focus and concentration and possibly relaxation. I've been using brown noise machine on Spotify and it goes for 12 hours. Hope this little find sparks someone else's curiosity too. Thank you for continuing to create the most thoughtful, comforting, and encouraging podcast. Oh my gosh. Oh, First oh my of gosh. All. I am going to add that. I'm going to look that up immediately. After I am, can I, I'm going to look it up right now yeah. um, because that is 
I'm always looking for something to help with that to kind of like get me into a focused mindset to work. So Colleen, just thank you so much for that recommendation. And thank you for those very kind words. Um, If you want to be able to um, have a recommendation or a shout out done on the show, as always, you can join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. It's just like a few bucks a month. And then you also get access to 60 bonus episodes. So if you're looking for more binging, you should go on there. Come on over. We'd love to have you. And we also have an iTunes review of the episode. This is from Lou M 2021. It says, so glad that I found this podcast. These ladies are so entertaining and insightful. Love to hear their opinions and find their discussions very helpful and comforting. A great choice for girls and guys. Thank you so much, Lou. Very much appreciated. Um, We love that you're happy you found us and we're happy you found us as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well well put. (laughs) everybody (laughs) everybody everybody here is very happy about this yes thank you so much for leaving that review um man i i don't know that i have a segment this time to be honest i'm feeling so so tired i i flew back from florida yesterday and i am i am i'm tired i'm run down it was a lot of travel i was in three different cities this past week so um i'm a sleepy lady but you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna try out this brown noise Hell yeah. See, see what it does to my body and my mind. Uh, to try it. Do you have any uh, segments, Del? You know, as I am as I am here with you, I am currently spending the day with my sisters. They had a sleepover with me. It was really nice. Cam's out of town with family right now. And yeah, it's just nice to be like, doing that on you know a monday and just time with family taking a walk having some nice food and so yeah just really grateful to like be able to do that that our schedules you know all of us at this point of in our life kind of align where we can do stuff like that and yeah it's just very pleasant and i just really enjoyed this conversation with alex like that was yeah that was so nice I just felt like it was very healing too. <laughs> yeah, she was great. Yeah, it was really good. But that that's it. Just uh, that's that's my segment for the day. Um, Sweet. Where can people find you and your tour ticket skills? You guys, please go get tickets for the tour at KelseyCook.com. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at KelseyCookComedy. Also, big shout out to all the sweet helpsters that came out to my shows in Tampa this past weekend. My gosh, so many of you just so sweet. I, I, I just love meeting you so much. So thank you for coming out. Oh, that's so fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how about you, Del? Yeah. You can head over to DelaneyFisher.com for eFishionado, the minimalist podcast. You can get those episodes um, delivered right to your inbox and you can either listen to them right then and there from anywhere, any device, or you can connect it to your favorite uh, podcast app. So you got a couple options there, but yeah, that's it. Perfect. All right. We hope you guys are having a wonderful start to your week and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Self-Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. Yeah.